Welcome everybody. Du, du. Rock your body. Du, du. Okay, get out of here. That's enough of that. This is me, myself, and Millie, a podcast about infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks. Thanks for joining us today as we talk with Kayla Cole all about motherhood after infertility. Kayla has openly shared her journey on Instagram with embryo adoption, being a C-section and NICU mama, and also being a military wife. Welcome, Kayla. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is so wonderful. I'm so glad we're finally getting down and have an opportunity to chit-chat and get to know you a little bit more. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Well, give us an overview of who you are, where you live, and what you do. So I'm Kayla. I am in Omaha, Nebraska right now. My husband is in the Air Force, and so we're stationed here for his job. I work now as a doula. I'm a former elementary school teacher, but now I'm a doula and childbirth educator. A childbirth educator. Yeah. Okay. And so you're also like a full spectrum doula? Is yes, that- I am. Yes. And can you can you give us that definition? So a full spectrum doula is somebody who is certified or who works um, in all spectrums from um, conception to um, birth. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and so like your husband is on active duty right now, correct? Yeah, he's currently deployed. Deployed. Okay, d- deployed is the correct terminology, correct? Tell me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's both. <laughs> he's both. Got it. Well, um why don't we dive into your story and let's start with when you and your partner decided you wanted children. Walk us through um what that looked like. I decided I wanted children when I was six years old. And so Nathan came into my life uh, a long time after that. And when we were dating and started getting serious, I told him, I was like, you know, I really want children. I've been diagnosed with endometriosis since I was 13. I don't know what that means for my future, but I know I won't be satisfied until I'm a parent. And my husband comes from a family that is um, has gone through not his family, but like his not his immediate family, but his whole family has adoption and infertility and things like that as well. So he was actually really well versed in what we would be um, what we would go through in the future. And so we got married and you know, we just couldn't get and stay pregnant. Um, and that eventually took us to embryo adoption, which is ultimately how we got Nora. And so did you do any rounds of IVF to make that decision? How I'm um, tell us tell us a little bit more about that um journey. Yeah, we did one round of Clomid after years of trying and you know, it was unsuccessful. I had some really bad side effects. And we decided to put a pause on our fertility journey. We knew that we wanted to be parents and we had always been open to adoption, having that in our family. So we stopped um, any sort of fertility methods and became um, home study approved for adoption. And we went down that route. Um, 
and we were matched with somebody who ultimately became empowered to parent her child, which is amazing for them. And after um, she went home with her child, we began hearing about embryo adoption or embryo donation. And we researched it a little bit more. And I did some fertility testing and we found out that I um, would be able to carry. And so we pursued that path. And that is how we found our daughter's genetic family. I love it. I love it. Um, Well, how... And so now you have this beautiful daughter, Nora, um, through embryo donation, embryo adoption. And um, how has infertility shaped the way you parent? You know, I don't know how I would parent without it, just because this is my life, my circumstances. I think infertility and the NICU as well have given me a lot of fear, a lot of waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think that when you're so used to things failing, you automatically think you're set up to fail. So working through all of those big emotions, I was in therapy. I mean, I still am in therapy, but the whole time I was pregnant, I really focused on childhood trauma and infertility trauma with my therapist making sure I had built as many healthy coping mechanisms as I could for motherhood. Beautiful. I'm a big advocate of therapy. Talk therapy. I love it. I love it's it. It's so great. It's so great. Um, and so if you had to tell your younger self something about parenthood, what would it be? Because you got diagnosed at 13 with endometriosis. So that is relatively early. Yeah. Tell us about that. So I was diagnosed, I had already been having pain. And so I was diagnosed and, you know, there's not really a lot of treatments. I was 13. So I wasn't thinking about family planning. Um, I was in middle school. I was thinking about gym class, honestly, like it wasn't... (laughs) On my radar, I was trying to remember my locker code. I wasn't really thinking about (laughs) the scar tissue around my uterus. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm thankful now that it looks like my, I mean, my uterine cavity was able to carry. It looks like a lot of the endometriosis um, mainly affected like my tubes and my eggs. Um, But I think from that moment forward, I wish I could go back and tell myself that if I was going to tell my younger self, there would be two things. It would be that my body is inherently good and that I'm still worthy of unconditional love. Love it. I love it. Um, if he, I mean, and so you're also a doula. And there's yes. Nora. Like, here's this is real life, guys. Like, motherhood after infertility. It's she's on like, my hip right now. <laughs> she's on your hip. She's, you know, she's cuddled up right next to you. And and she's giggling and smiling. I mean, it's beautiful. Um being so being a full spectrum doula, did that help with your transition into parenthood? Absolutely. Um, my background is in education. So I went to school for, for elementary education. That was my first career path. Um, and that really prepared me for like, you know, K through 12. 
But there's so much that happens before kindergarten that I was um, not really as aware of until I started the doula world and, you know, really walking um, with my clients through their conceptions, through their pregnancies and their births and seeing families take their children home in that um, postpartum phase seeing what that actually looks like taught me so much. And, you know, as a military spouse, we're always um, transient and we don't really have roots anywhere. So the area we're in, we don't have family in. So um, doula support is really big here because not everybody, especially with COVID, has felt comfortable having their family members fly to their location to help with their newborns. So, yeah, I hear you. yeah that's I mean that's a major how how have you how what did your postpartum experience look like with Nora it was harder than I ever imagined um I think I had this false sense of security in in knowing what postpartum looked like medically and emotionally but um when Nora went to the NICU after our emergency C-section, yes, yes, you're strong. We know. Um, <laughs> when when she went to the NICU after everything we'd been through, it changed our parenting so hard. Um, I'm so thankful my mother-in-law was able to come up because, you know, we had pets, we had a house that we just abandoned and we lived in the NICU while Nora was there. Um And that was really hard. You know, once your baby, the false sense of security I had in, oh, now I've done, I've done infertility, right? I've done loss. That's behind me. This is like the fairy tale movie ending baby's born and nothing ever goes wrong ever again. And that's Mm. just not true. You know, I thought once my daughter was here, everything would be fine. But ultimately, once you become a parent, your living beating heart is walking outside of you for the rest of your life. And you have to accept that vulnerability. And the NICU really taught us that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that that's another thing for me. A big realization, I think, is that, you know, I think I compare a lot of my heartache and pain to my infertility journey. and mm-hmm. And it's really it's very humbling to realize that the heartache and pain doesn't really stop with infertility. You know, it kind of comes in different waves and the quality of your problems definitely still changes, you know, even after you have a child on this side of the earth, you know? Absolutely. Um, Did you ever sometimes feel like you knew too much being a doula, educational doula? Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. I felt like I knew every outcome. Uh, My daughter was an emergency cesarean and I talked so positively about my experience. I think part of that is because I had amazing providers. I had all the knowledge, but I also, I kind of knew when things started going crazy that um, what this was going to look like. We had to have Nora. And so they tried an emergency induction. And I, I know from experience what inductions look like when they're progressing quickly. And with 
Nora, I was not dilated. I was not a face. Um, she was still very early. I knew that my body wasn't ready to give birth to her, but I also knew that we were running out of time before she needed to come out. Um, and so I was really at peace with, um, the emergency cesarean because I knew what a C-section was going to look like for us. I knew that it was the best outcome for Nora. And I had, you know, had clients that had had really positive cesareans as well. So it really definitely made me feel really good. And I actually kind of knew before we even, we knew something was up with Nora and we went in for our biophysical um, profile with um, our perinatologist. And, you know, the ultrasound tech starts it in like in five minutes She's like, oh, well, okay, Nathan, Kayla, I'm going to go get your doctor. I'll be right back. And I looked at Nathan and I was like, something is up. I Like my mother's intuition had already been telling me something wasn't going right. Um, and how many weeks how were feeling. you at this point? Um, oh, gosh, I can't even remember. Um, we were just, we were not ready. Like Nora's due date was November 5th and she was born um, in October. Oh, wow. <laughs> so okay. in mid-October. So um I knew based on how quickly she walked out of the room and how short that that um, ultrasound went, which it usually takes a lot longer. I knew that something was up from the second we started that. So oh I, had lot, I had a lot of, um, I don't know, mother's intuition really hit us fast. And I knew she was coming. And ultimately, you know, we waited so long to have her. Um, it can be scary having your child early, but we were just thrilled that she was in our arms. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, I mean, does it overwhelm you to think about expanding your family again? And is that in the cards for you guys? Oh, it's absolutely overwhelming. Um, the fourth trimester was really hard on us. Nora wasn't gaining weight. I had an oversupply. Um, we were struggling just to keep Nora alive. Honestly, we thought that at one point we thought she had necrotizing enterocolitis and that she was going to have to have surgery as a newborn. So we had, and what is that? I am, I've never heard of that before. You might hear it referred to as neck NEC. It's when, um, the bowel needs basically to be resected it either hasn't had enough oxygenation or blood flow. It's common in preemies or twins. Um, they're just underdeveloped. And so they're like bowels necrotized and they have to be removed. Wow. Wow. And so, yeah, thankfully that was not the case with Nora. Um, after her NICU stay, we were able to just uh, rule that out, clear everything up. And... Um, yeah, so it was a whirlwind of emotions. And just getting to Nora, we went through so much. And I think it's really easy for parents to say, knowing all you've been through, would you do it again? And the answer is always yes. You almost always hear yes, absolutely. But when you talk about adding a second child, you're no longer saying, okay, but what if you had to do everything again? Would you still do it? Because it's not the same. Now we have to think about, you know, our daughter's well-being. Um, beforehand, when we didn't have a child, it was really easy for me to make those doctor's appointments, take all those shots, do back-to-back -back rounds um, for frozen embryo transfers. But with her, and especially with my husband deployed, 
you know, our options are fairly limited and our childcare is limited. Um, so it is overwhelming to think about. We know in our hearts, we would love to parent another child in our home. Um, Nora is the youngest and last embryo. So she has genetic siblings. And we know that if we are unable to have another child in our home, she at least has siblings, you know, in the United States that she can interact with. But it's different when you grow up with a sibling in your home. So we just have to see. We're still, you know, my body is still healing from the emergency cesarean. And um, we just have to see what the future holds. But hopefully there's another child out there that will come into our lives. And in and you guys are open to any how that will present itself in any form, correct? Like adoption, fostering, like what are you guys sort of where are you at on that? So for myself personally, um and I have friends in foster care and I think foster care is amazing, but the goal is reunification and the goal is, you know, to wow. keep families together, not to grow someone else's family. And so for me personally, I couldn't walk into foster care and root for those families to be together because I selfishly want another child. Um, and, you know, I would love to say, oh no, I would never tear a family apart to have another child. But I feel like, oh no, Sorry, she ripped up my mic. No, it's okay. um, I just feel like in my heart, I know that foster care is not an option for us because that goodbye would be too hard. And I just don't know that I could um, give another family my full heart right now. As for adoption, um, domestic adoption, you know, we have birth parents in our family. We have adoptees in our family and we have adoptive parents in our family. And we've seen um, the highs and lows of adoption ourselves. Um, personally, I would be open to adoption again. I don't know that that is a path my husband's heart is ready for, um, because our previous domestic adoption journey was, you know, everybody thinks adoption ends in a child and ultimately ended it with a mother keeping her child, which is amazing, but that was still really hard for us. So we really don't know. It kind of looks like our only, um, family planning options at this moment would be um, another embryo transfer, and you would, um, and you would. I mean, I I'm still sort of like amazed by the um, the whole process of finding another embryo to adopt, and like because the um, family that you adopted from Nora is their um, last embryo. Would you look for a different family? Um, yes, we originally had four embryos, um, and we had some losses with, um, the embryos. And so she was our only one we were actually able to transfer. She was our first transfer. Um, the other three for whatever reason did not make it to transfer day, um, from being frozen. So we had originally, you know, when we got this group of embryos, we had pictured, genetic siblings in our home. And so that was something that we had to grieve when we came down to her very last embryo. Um, 
and we're so thankful we have Nora, but we did have to grieve not being able to give her a genetic sibling to grow up with. And so for us, we would love to at least be able to give her another sibling in that same way, because it is Mm -hmm. different. It's different not being genetically related to the people raising you. Um, And we know from experience, it's been really helpful for adoptees to have other adoptees around them. And while domestic adoption, embryo adoption are not similar at all. Um, it's, it is something that we would like for her to have. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I would never be disappointed if Nathan and I somehow got pregnant and had another child. I would, I would never say publicly I'm disappointed, but I would feel worried for my daughter for how she would be made to feel. I hear so often from people, oh, so-and-so did this and then they got pregnant naturally or then they had a real baby of their own. And I would just be beside myself if anybody ever thought of Nora as a gateway baby. Mm, mm. That's a new term for me, gateway baby. Wow. Yeah, I just... You know, the goal of growing a family is growing a family. And we didn't explore this path to cure my womb. Um, And we're under no fantasy that that will happen. Um, And so I know people usually when they they say these things, they, they mean well. They want you to only have to go through this struggle once is what I think they mean when they say things like this. But they don't realize how the other child in that situation can feel. Yeah. Yeah. It seems um, oh, it seems so complicated and people kind of put so many blanket statements around the situation in many, in many forms. Yes. And it's um it's I know we hear all the time like. Uh, love makes a family. And I totally believe that's true. But genetics also make a family. And we love, we love Nora's genetic family. We love the family that she shares DNA with. And we talk almost every single day. We have plans to meet up this summer. Um, oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, so they're like cousins almost. Yeah. Like, like yeah, there's, people- I like that. We call them, uh, well, some of her siblings call each other snowflake buddies or snowflake siblings. I know other people say diblings for donor siblings. <laughs> diblings. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a candy bar and right. sounds great. <laughs> it's pretty wonderful. I just shared, I don't know if you saw today on my stories, a picture. Right now, Nora looks exactly like one of her brothers. Like they could be twins. I did see that. That was incredible to see their their pictures side by side. It is, you know, something that families that conceive on their own do with their kids, you know, like, oh, they have uncle so-and-so's ears and, you know, people say things like that. And so to be able to have those comparisons between the siblings for looks and for personality is so much fun. I love that. I love that. And, you know, it also, you know, further down the line, you know, worst case scenario, if somebody needs a kidney transplant, you know, (laughs) like that's what I always think about. Like with my brother, you know, if I have to engage with him, it'll be for a kidney. You know, like there's just I don't know. It seems like that's um, that's reassuring. It is. And it 
it means a lot to me that we have this open relationship. You know, there are different ways to conceive their donor conception um, is an umbrella. And under that falls donor sperm, donor egg, donor embryos. And donor embryos can be made with donor egg and donor sperm, with known um, donors, with one person. So it could have been like, anyway, really, there's so many ways to be donor conceived. And this donor conception is from, you know, two parents who fell in love, fought infertility. And once their family was complete, they wanted to give those embryos an opportunity to grow somebody else's family. And so I'm really thankful for that way that we've grown our family. And I'm really thankful for the closeness it's brought, you know, everybody in our snowflake family has experienced infertility. So infertility, infertility moms sometimes don't feel like they fit in. And I, I know with myself and with a lot of patients, you work so hard, you fight so hard. You feel like if you show any emotion other than grateful, your baby will either be taken from you or you'll be offending your, you know, infertility, trying to conceive community that you've come from. And so having them in my life, it's this safe place of other mothers who have been through infertility who can sit with me in the hard stuff and say, you know, Kayla, you don't have to pretend to be grateful that there was a poop explosion at 3 a.m. You're allowed to say that it sucks. And that has made all the difference in my postpartum mental health. Yeah, I do see that a lot um, on the internet. People having to qualify their pain with gratitude. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I think two things can be true at the same time. You know, we all can be so grateful and we can also be having a really fucking hard time. You know? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is something, um, you know, with my clients as well that I, that I see is just that, you know, two things can be true. You can be so happy that your baby is born and you can miss being pregnant. Like two things can be true. You can have the birth plan that you wanted go correctly and still have birth trauma. And it's okay to have that. It's okay to have those emotions and to work through them. I think the worst thing we can do is lie to ourselves and tell a story of everything being fine because eventually you won't be able to keep that story going and it's easier to just live out the truth than it is to have to pick up a new narrative. Mhm. Mhm. What's one thing you didn't expect about parenthood after infertility that was a pleasant surprise? How much I would love my husband. <laughs> I am obsessed with him. Obsessed. I feel like infertility takes, you know, a lot of intimacy away. It takes a lot of fun away. It puts you on a schedule financially, emotionally. Your calendar revolves around it. And having our child and kind of having that freedom to just enjoy parenthood has been insane. And I'm so lucky. A lot of people, um, it's kind of a crude joke, but people usually say, oh, well, you know, your husband's in the Air Force. He's either going to be there for the conception or the birth. And that's kind of true. You know, they're always, they're always going, you know, Nathan's deployment schedule is, is continual. And so, um, 
he actually wasn't there for the conception. <laughs> Go idea. Yeah. I was going to say, well, we're dealing with infertility. Um, yeah. They, right. They're not always there. And so he wasn't there for the conception, but he was there my whole pregnancy and like the first four or five months of Nora's life, which is unheard of to have that much time together. And then once Nora was here in that newborn phase, having an emergency cesarean there, I couldn't do anything without his help. And man, I tell you, when you are completely reliant on the person that you have chosen to spend the rest of your life with, and they exceed those expectations and they care for you so tenderly, like that love just grows. And man, I've done deployments before. I have never missed my husband. I have never loved him like this. It is just looking back at everything we've ever accomplished, we kind of feel like we are at that mountaintop, just staring out at the beauty of everything we've climbed. And I just don't know how my life could get any better. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I think that kind of, that sort of experience is very important to share because, you know, you do hear that having a child puts a strain on a marriage, you know, and that can also be true, you know, and different days can be different experiences of your marriage. And, um, but I think it's also really important to, you know, call it what it is, which is really wonderful right now for you. It really is. (laughs) Um, What's the thing that makes your blood boil most about infertility? Everything. Oh, (laughs) that is so hard. I think inside the community or outside the community? Uh, Share both. I think outside of the community, it is the limited representation of growth and the misunderstanding of family planning. Um, you hear people say, Oh, why don't you just do IVF? If look back at the person who says that to you and say, what is that? They can't explain it to you. They have no idea. They don't understand the cost. They don't understand. Um, healthcare doesn't cover it. Um, they just have no understanding. It's this whole other word that with languages and acronyms and emotions that they've never experienced. And so I feel like it's really minimized. And I feel like people want to put a bandaid on it and you can't do that. We have to learn to just sit with each other in our pain and not try to solve things. So yeah, everything about people outside the infertility community is hard. Yeah. And then inside the community. Inside the community, I would say there is a lack of representation um, within different ethnicities and different um, family planning journeys. Um, I think that IVF is very, and I'm thankful that IVF has a spotlight from celebrities and from, you know, influencers in our community. But so often now I'm hearing people, well, I, IVF is a financial privilege. It just is. Um, reproductive assistant technology is a privilege. And I think, we, when we limit our discussions of infertility to just those options, we close out a whole demographic of people. Um, and that sucks, you know, it's really shitty for those people. 
I mean, I've done it. I watched, um, oh gosh, I can't remember that movie. It, it was some funny movie about infertility and people were telling me to watch it. And I watched it. I was pregnant. And I remember saying on my stories, I can't believe this family waited five years before seeing a fertility doctor. And I got so many DMs and they were like, insurance doesn't cover it. Do you know how much just the consult? And I was like, oh, you're right. That's my financial privilege speaking. Like the privilege of just being able to go to a, a fertility doctor and pay that copay. The privilege of being able to try these things. Um, and the privilege to be able to trust a doctor, too. Yes. Yes. It is so disheartening um, for families of color and queer families already have so much stacked against them with the way healthcare is in this country and with the way prejudice um, still runs rampant. Mm. And so... Yep. That's I, exactly what I'm that's exactly what I'm thinking. Is is it's um for me to go into a a clinic and ask for help, there's a certain amount of privilege that I have to be able to put trust that they're going to solve my problem and not create new ones. Absolutely. And I think that um as a white woman, I'm more likely to be taken seriously when I talk about pain. I mean, men are still going to be taken more seriously over me. But again, I'm a white woman who's married to a white man. When he comes to an appointment with me, oh, I am talked to so much differently. I mean, we ended up going with an amazing fertility clinic that we just, we love Dr. Dial. She's amazing. She's the one who got us pregnant. But man, were there some bad eggs before we got to her. Yeah, there's definitely a different tone when the the partner who's a male is in the room. You know, I've noticed that for sure. Um, And um, yeah, yeah, that's a great, great, great points. Great points. Um, What's one thing you want to say to people who are about to enter parenthood after infertility? Just because you struggled for so many years does not mean you were supposed to become the wisest parent. Sometimes the shit you went through in infertility isn't going to make you any different of a parent than you would have been if you hadn't experienced it. You're still going to feel lost. You're still going to feel overwhelmed. And all of the emotions you're feeling, you're still allowed to feel just infertility doesn't take that away. You don't have to hide your emotions and you don't have to hide that sometimes pregnancy is awful. I hated my pregnancy because I had hyperemesis gravidarum and I threw up for nine months. Oh, that's the thing that Amy Schumer had. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I actually, I have not watched that documentary. I have a lot of trauma to work through and how hard that pregnancy was and watching that documentary is just too much for me. Oh, that'll do you over. Yeah. 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 And so I think that I felt so much guilt being sick with Nora um, because, you know, we do all the research. We, we get woo woo. We get scientific. We try to do everything right to get pregnant. And then once we are, we kind of go into overdrive, you know, and we, think we have to be doing everything in every best practice for every single thing. But for me, I couldn't keep prenatals down even. So I had so much guilt 
from not being able to take a prenatal vitamin um, when I knew the benefits of them. And I really beat myself up about the kind of parent that I was being for my daughter. And I think that infertility trauma compounded it. And I just wish for everyone that they would be allowed to have their experiences and feel however they wanted about their experience. Because just because I finally got pregnant after fertility doesn't mean somebody else won't. And so if somebody who's still struggling hears me complain about infertility, they might think, oh, you're so lucky. And I was the person who said, I'll never complain. And that's just not realistic. When we, when we hold those ultimatums for ourselves and for others, we're not growing as people and we're cutting off our empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think a lot of, I know myself and I think a lot of other people in the community could probably relate to being like, to judging people who are complaining about parenthood. You know, I know I've done it. I know that like looking at it before parenthood, I was like, wow, I'll never do that. I'll be so, you know, I'll just, it'll all just be rainbows and unicorns, you know? And, um, and I think that's a really strong point to make that it doesn't, yeah, that's not, that's not realistic. And it's not, it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. It is. And people crap under pressure and postpartum is the last, the, it's the worst time to crack. You know, you come into postpartum cracked, so you don't need to have anything else pushing you down. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, how can people follow you and your journey, Kayla, and like keep in touch and maybe tell you how great it was to hear you on the show? Like, (laughs) give us us the scoop. So I am the Cole Chronicles and Cole is K-O-H-L on Instagram. Um, That's really the only platform I'm on. I'm I'm old. I can't do it all. That's that's really the only place. TikTok, though. Pretty well. You're pre- you're pretty good at the TikTok. So here's the thing. I use TikTok because I can't figure out how to make voiceovers on Reels. So I make the TikTok <laughs> and then I paste it to Instagram, and I don't get back on the TikTok because I just I just can't. It's it's too many people, and you can't go to like. There's no friendships on TikTok. It's just fame for me, and I don't like that. Um, <laughs> you know, I want the connection, like. Ugh. It's it's too I much. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so no, the cold chronicles. You're a very genuine person. <laughs> well, thanks. I try. <laughs> um, and then if you are in the Omaha area or the Nebraska area, um, I am taking birth clients. I'm not taking postpartum clients quite yet. Um, my husband would have to be home for me to do that. So you can find me at the Omaha Baby Nest, um, where I work with a fantastic group of like-minded doulas in our community. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been fabulous talking with you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for um, also the unprofessionalism of my daughter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, microphones and chatting away. You know what? <laughs> this is this is real life. This is real life motherhood after infertility. And, and this is it's solo great. parenting. I mean, yeah. I only have childcare three hours a week. So yeah, no. <laughs> this is what my life looks like at this point. Oh my gosh, she's so cute. Oh, all right. Well, it was wonderful having you. We'll chat soon. All right. Thanks, Millie. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week. Thank you.